Today's first scripture reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 772 of the Church Bibles. Jeremiah 13, verse 1. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed and put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and go to Perath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Perath as the Lord told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, go now to Perath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Perath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord to be my people from my renown and praise and honor, but they have not listened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's second scripture reading, today's second scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter uh, chapter two, verses four to 10, and can be found on page 1218 of your church Bibles. 1 Peter chapter two, verses four to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like the living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'll admit it doesn't seem like good news when your new pastor preaches his first sermon out of the book of Jeremiah doesn't seem like good news because as many of you know the prophet Jeremiah has the reputation for being a bit prickly. Think of Jeremiah for example compared to Isaiah. For the soul of the believer the words of the prophet Isaiah are like the the soothing extract of the aloe vera plant whereas the words of Jeremiah can be like its serrated edges. 
Why? I suppose it's because the words of Jeremiah so often bring judgment rather than salvation. Warning rather than encouragement. If you have a New International Version of the Bible, you'll be able to see this in the chapter headings. If you look at the book of, the, uh, book of Isaiah in the NIV Bible, you'll see chapter headings that, that read like favorite devotionals. The joy of the redeemed. Comfort for God's people. The year of the Lord's favor. But in Jeremiah, we see the chapter headings that remind us more of an Xbox video game. Valley of slaughter. The coming destruction. Day of disaster. Rough stuff, huh? No, the book of Jeremiah is not normally one we would go to or think of for a comforting word or inspiring message from God. So why today? Why today of all days? A day of celebration, a day of great joy, at least for me. Why turn to this book of Jeremiah? Well, as Lord willing, you'll hear me say many times in the months and years to come, let's take a look at the passage. Let's take a look at the passage. Let's take a look at the passage, and then I think you'll understand why, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I've selected this passage out of Jeremiah for our sermon today. In the passage for today, Jeremiah 13, we find Jeremiah proclaiming the word of the Lord in a most unusual manner. I expect when most of us think of proclaiming the word of the Lord, we think of something like a, a sermon or a speech. You know, someone standing in front of a crowd like I'm doing this morning, speaking, delivering a, a prepared piece. There's usually a catchy introduction, right? Uh, some exegesis, an application. Uh, if you're fortunate, maybe a few good stories mixed in. But that's it. That's it. God's messengers in the Old Testament, though, they weren't limited just to sermons. Although they did use sermons and speeches, they weren't limited to sermons and speeches. They used symbolic acts as well to get the message out. Now, I call these symbolic acts, and that terminology has a nice theological ring to it, but perhaps it's more understandable for us to think of these symbolic acts as, as street theater, street theater. Prophets acting out their proclamations from God in the busy streets in front of passersby. And quite interesting presentations these sometimes were. Some of you might remember that in the book of Ezekiel, God wants to send a message to his people about Israel's 390 years of sin. So he makes Ezekiel lay on his left side for 390 days. One day for each year of their sin. And if that weren't bad enough, right after Ezekiel gets done doing that, God has a message about Judah's 40 years of sin. And guess what? Yep. Ezekiel has to flip over, and he's got to lie on his right side another 40 days. One, again, for each day, year of Israel's sin. The book of Isaiah gives another example of a symbolic act carried out by a prophet of God. In Isaiah, we read that poor Isaiah had to run around naked for three years 
This you'll find in Isaiah 20. Three years as a sign of impending judgment against Egypt and Cush. This little bit of theater symbolized how the Egyptian and Cushite slaves would be led away naked by the Assyrian king. And then there's the passage from Jeremiah that we read today. In the passage we read today, the symbolic act is a relatively tame one. There's no one lying on their left side for 390 days or someone you have to go three years barefoot naked. No, we just have the story of the prophet Jeremiah buying a belt, bringing it to a river, hiding it under a rock, and then retrieving it a while later. Hardly the stuff of an inaugural sermon, you might say. But hold on. There's quite a message in this symbolic act. There's quite a message from God in this symbolic act. Let me explain. Jeremiah 13, we're in this little town called Anathoth in Judah. It's a suburb of Jerusalem. And we're there about 600 years before the birth of Christ. Jeremiah is a hometown boy. And God has given him the task of warning the people there that if things don't change, they will stand in judgment. Now, up until this point in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah has used sermons or speeches to communicate God's message to these people. But they haven't listened. So now God tells Jeremiah to try a different tact. God tells him to act out his message. In verse 1 of Jeremiah 13, God tells Jeremiah to buy a piece of clothing. Not any piece of clothing, mind you, a belt. And not any kind of a belt, mind you, a linen belt. File that away. A linen belt. A linen belt that Jeremiah should put around his waist and not let touch any water. Well, buy a linen belt, Jeremiah does. And he puts it around his waist. And while we don't read this, we can presume he keeps it dry as God has commanded him. So far, so good. Now in verse 3, we read that God has another set of instructions for Jeremiah. Instructions that, that might seem a little bit odd to us. They seemed pretty odd to me the first time I read them. God tells Jeremiah to take the belt to a place where there's a river. It's called Perath. And God tells him to, to hide that belt among the rocks near the river. And that's it, at least for a while. Nothing more happens. And then eventually God tells Jeremiah to go back to the river, go back to the rocks, dig out the belt. And then when he does, surprise, surprise, the belt's ruined. It's ruined and it's useless. Now, I had a recent experience of this. You know how your clothes look after being packed in a suitcase for a few hours, right? Take them out. Boy, does that need ironing, right? Can you imagine a belt, a linen belt, hid in the rocks in a river, what that might look like after a few days. A wrinkled mess, unwearable, useless. And that, in the end, is what Jeremiah is left with. A useless belt. So what's the story all about? What's the story all about? What's God trying to communicate to his people then and now? through the symbolic act of Jeremiah. Well, one thing we know through God's words to Jeremiah in verses 11 and 12 is that this belt represents Judah 
and Israel, God's chosen people. Symbolically, just as Jeremiah has bound that belt to himself, so God has belt, bound, bounded those people to him. He's tied these people very close to himself, nice and snug, nice and tight. But as we know elsewhere in the Old Testament, the symbolism doesn't end there. This belt we've been reading about, it's made of a very special material. It's made of linen. And in Jeremiah's audience would have well understood linen was the fabric of priests. So that linen belt doesn't just symbolize that they are God's people snug and tight, close to him. It also symbolizes they are God's priestly people, snug and tight and close to him. They are a nation of priests, in fact. A designation which is actually attested to elsewhere in the Old Testament, especially in Exodus 19. Let me just read this. This is God speaking to Moses. And this is what he says to Moses and the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Again, that's kind of the, the closeness. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19. So what does God mean here when he says that his people are going to be a a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, let's think about who those priests were in the Old Testament. They were people whom God had chosen to do some pretty special stuff, yeah? Among other tasks, they, they offered sacrifices. They performed purifications. They interceded on behalf of the people. One way to describe them, these priests, would be to say that they were people who were selectively chosen by God for special tasks. Or more simply put, they were set apart by God for service to God. And in this way, and in this way, the Israelite nation as a whole was a nation of priests. This because they had been selectively chosen by God to perform a special task for God. They too had been set apart by God to serve God. But this is where it differs. Their service was not sacrifices, for the most part. Their service was not purifications. Their service was not intercessions. No, they were, and you'll maybe recognize this language from elsewhere in the Old Testament, they were to be a light to the Gentiles, right? They were to be a blessing to the nations, They were to reveal God and his salvation to those in the surrounding countries. They were to be God's showpiece. That's what he calls them. God's showpiece among the people of the world. They were to testify to God's greatness, God's goodness, God's justice, God's mercy. They were to testify to his holiness and to his righteousness. They were to show everyone everywhere how loving and how loyal their God was. How compassionate and slow to anger their God was. 
Thus, and here's the key, thus bringing glory and honor to his name. This is what they were chosen for as a priestly people. This is what they were set apart for as a priestly people. But they had failed in their priestly calling. They had failed in their priestly commission. Let me just read again God's indictment of them when he draws a connection between his people and the belt. Uh, Talking about how the belt had been ruined, he says this, and this is what Jonah read earlier. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them. They'll be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. So as we see here in Jeremiah 13 and elsewhere in the book of Jeremiah, God's chosen people have brought dishonor to his name. They didn't listen to God. They were proud, stubborn. Their affections were for the counterfeit gods of the culture, not for the one true God of the universe. They treated the poor with condescension and contempt. They engaged in all sorts of sexual immorality. Their leaders were corrupt. They were anything but a light to the Gentiles and a blessing to the nations. Anything but God's showpiece to the world. They testified nothing to God's greatness or his goodness, his justice or his mercy, his holiness or his righteousness. They showed no one how loving and loyal their God was, how compassionate and slow to anger he was. And so... Here in Jeremiah 13, God pronounces his judgment on them. This because as a priestly people, as a people set apart, as people chosen by God for his service, they were like that filthy, dirty linen belt. Worthless. Or, as God puts it in verse 13, useless. Or earlier, useless. And as a result, God allows the Babylonians to come and conquer them and to carry them away in captivity. Sounds harsh, I know, but but think of it from God's perspective here. What was the point of having this people there in that privileged position if they were completely useless? What was the point of persisting it with them in that place of favor if they fulfilled none of that priestly calling. They had been chosen for a purpose. To show the world who God was and and what he was all about. And they had failed spectacularly in this purpose. What was God to do? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, much has changed since Jeremiah's time. But one thing is not. The 
priestly calling of God's people. The priestly calling of God's people. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says to his fellow believers in Jesus Christ. As through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes them this in the first century. Jonah had read this earlier too. This was their second reading from today. Peter says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. It's affirmed in the New Testament too. A people belonging to God so that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The chosen people of God referred to again as a priesthood, a priesthood that should be declaring the, the praises of God. In other words, testifying to his greatness, testifying to, to his goodness. This could be a continuation of Jeremiah 13, couldn't it? But as you know, it's not. It's from Peter. But here too, designated and called to be priests, God's people. Designated and called to be people of the cloth, if you will, right? Used to call clergy that, people of the cloth. The linen cloth, in this case, the linen cloth. Linen belts tied tightly to God, serving as his priests. A people set apart to serve him. A people chosen to show the world who God is, and especially who he is through Jesus Christ. They're called to be a people who are useful, not useless. So perhaps as we enter this new season of ministry together, I not knowing you that well, you not knowing me that well, we just ask ourselves some questions together. As God's linen belt here in central Zurich, as his priestly people, are we fulfilling this priestly commission? Or are we neglecting it? Are we a people who through our words and actions, people who through our behaviors and attitudes bring renown, honor, and praise to God's name? That's what God says to Jeremiah, right? In Jeremiah 13, that's what he wants. Or are we people who through our words and our actions, our behaviors and our attitudes, do anything but? Are we showing the world who our God truly is? Are we showing the world what he's truly all about? Or are we mainly showing the world who we are and what we're all about? Are we useful or are we useless? As I close now, I'd just like for us to dwell a bit on that thought. Uh, this, this distinction of, of useless versus useful, useful versus useless. And consider what it might look like in a church. Again, I don't know this church. But I think these hold true for any church, anywhere, anytime. It's going to slow things down a little bit in order to allow us to just chew on some of this. I hope it will help us engage in a bit of self-exploration and, as we did earlier in the service, self-examination. So let me just start with this distinction. The, the useless church, the useless church will present to the world a Jesus Christ of human invention, 
a useful church will present to the world a Jesus Christ of God's revelation. The useless church will be a theological debating society. The useful church will be an instrument of God's grace through Jesus Christ. The useless church will will either withdraw from the culture or identify with the culture. The useful church will be in the world, but not of the world. The useless church will be generous and kind to the deserving. The useful church will be generous and kind to the undeserving. The useless church will be a place of conflict, a place of complaint, a place of contention, a place of criticism. The useful church will be at times a place of gentle correction and speaking the truth in love. But most of all, it will be a place of common encouragement and mutual support. The useless church will will celebrate those whom society celebrates. I suppose I could say too, what society celebrates. The useful church will celebrate whom and what God celebrates. The useless church will rant endlessly and only about the sins of society. The useful church will pray the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, which we said earlier, actually. I didn't plan for this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There's a couple more. In a useless church, the people will be quick to consider what they deserve from this or that program. What they deserve from this or that worship service. What they deserve from this or that sermon. In a useful church, the people will be very quick to consider what God wants and what other people need in those realms that I just mentioned. In a useless church, the people will worship the counterfeit gods of the culture six and a half days a week, and then they'll come here all cleaned up for one half day of worship of the one true God. And in the useful church, the people will love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength. You see, if we hope more and more to become a, a linen belt church. I guess that was probably not on the five-year goal for the church, to become a linen belt church. If we hope more and more to fulfill our priestly calling as followers of Jesus Christ, if we hope more and more to witness to who he is and, and what he's all about, we'll need more and more by the Spirit's power to be transformed as individuals and as a church into the image of Jesus Christ. 
We'll need more and more by the Spirit to, by the Spirit's power to reflect His values, His priorities, His attitudes, His behaviors, His wants, His wishes, and not our own. So, I hope now you see why I felt led by the Spirit to, to preach from Jeremiah, and of course, First Peter too, this morning. In these passages, there's just a, a great challenge to the church of Jesus Christ, here and, and everywhere around the world. It's appropriate to consider, I think, as, as, we, as we embark on, on ministry together, as pastor and as congregation. The God who, through Jesus Christ, has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, or wonderful light, is not interested in having us just glow or bask in the glow of that light. To, to, to lean back and get a tan from it, whatever. No. I'll use a little different metaphor from the children's message, but he wants us to reflect that light or equally have it shine through us. Showing the world who Jesus Christ is and what he's all about. He wants us to be his priestly people, set apart for service to him. I'm so happy, so glad, so excited to be here to do this by God's grace and through the Spirit's power with you. And may God, through his Spirit, make, make us such a people or continue to make us such a people, a priestly people, for his glory, but also for the good of his world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these challenging words to us, these challenging words from your prophet Jeremiah. Lord, help us to respond to these challenging words in faith, and love and hope. Help us to be the priestly people you have chosen us in love to be. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.